is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. When your host Dan here, and we're actually recording this right after the World Cup final, but we're talking about a player that Chelsea are in for potentially getting close to signing not signed yet matt law for bc romano saying it's looking good for david datro fafana that's right another fafana fafana in the front of fafana in the back of graham potter's chelsea and we want to do a little bit of analysis on him figure out what we'd be getting in terms of a player and of course, you know we had to bring him on to talk about it. It's our good friend Sam, CFC Central. You know him, you love him, you love his analysis. And he had to go to some pretty wild extremes to get some hands on some Norwegian footage of Mold, which is where Dotro plays. Sam, welcome back. Thank you for the due diligence. And I'm excited to hear about your Indiana Jones-style journey to uncover and unearth this film. Well, thank you so much, Dan. As always, an absolute pleasure to be here. I apologize if my voice sounds phony. I mean, a little hoarse, but it's been the World Cup final. I've just been screaming my throat off. Um, and it, it's been, I mean, one of the matches of the century, to be honest. It's, it's been absolutely incredible in terms of a spectacle. So, uh Please pardon any interruptions on that regard. But uh, yeah, raring to go. I mean, as soon as the World Cup finishes, we have one more signing to to look forward to. Um, so hopefully this one turns out to be the blessed striker that, you know, sort of like pulls the stone, sorry, pulls the sword out of the stone and it breaks the number nine curse kind of a forward. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. So had to go through a lot of trouble. I, I did not imagine I would have to, you know, search for um, games from, from the Norwegian league and then end up sort of like scrounging every corner of the internet. I mean, come on, this is the club that produced Erling Haaland. So I, I expected them to have, you know, their games plastered everywhere. But I had to go around asking, um, you know, every corner of Reddit, every social media platform, whether they had these games. And then luckily I got my hands on a few. So diligence done and raring to go. And hopefully I can be of help. Yeah, I'm I'm very glad you got your completely legal, 100% official, uh, very authentic, no issues or problems in <laughs> you, sourcing you this footage. You specifically told me not to reference this on I, the I am, I, I am I, mentioning exactly the legal <laughs> ways that you went to acquire this footage so that we could have this conversation about Fafana. And so we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to get into just setting the stage, talking a little bit about who Dotro is. I mean, obviously, you hear the idea of an Ivorian striker, and you're like, oh, that's an exciting thing as a Chelsea supporter. Uh, you hear someone from uh, Mold. It's like, oh, that's also exciting if you're a Premier League fan. We're going to talk about the stage being set. We're going to talk about his performance in the Norwegian League. And then we're going to get into understanding a little bit more how he fits, what he could add to this Chelsea side, maybe what his career growth trajectory would be. We know that obviously we're going to do another episode about uh, Nkunku now that we know that he looks, uh, he got the here we go signal from Fabrizio in terms of that deal being done. So this getting into it, Sam, want to talk about, want to set the stage, want to get the author in you. 
to give us the rundown, set the scene, the full narrative, David Dotro Fafana, who is the guy? So Dan, interestingly, I actually stumbled across his name when Brighton were scouting him. And um, apparently they were very, very keen on signing him and uh, a deal was in the work. So the name came up and obviously going through Brighton's deals and the way that they've pulled out such incredible transfers from time to time. I mean, Alexis McAllister, the guy who won the World Cup today, was excellent throughout the tournament. I mean, nobody knew him when he was playing for, I think, Argentinos Juniors. And then for 11 million, he made move. And now he's world champion. So when obviously Brighton sort of have a name handy, then then you want to go in and try to figure out what that is about. So I went in and, and sort of like did a little bit of, you know, a surface research to find out who the guy was, but then obviously thought the deal wasn't going to materialize. And then, you know, suddenly we ended up uh, signing him. So uh, it's, it's been incredible because I think he's, again, somebody who is in the same mold as a Chukwumeka, as a Cassidy, as one of those Hutchinson signings who's on the verge of exploding out, who's been making a very good name for himself. A young player, he's, I think, turning 20 in three days. So um, by the time the pod's out, I think happy birthday to him. But uh, he's he's been uh, somebody who's been creating waves. About two years ago, he played for uh, a club called AFAD, Academy de Foot, Amadou Diallo in Ivory Coast. And when he was there, he was sort of generating a lot of attention from French and Belgian clubs. And uh, a lot of sort of running around and then people sort of bidding in, I think, there was a bid of about 1, 1.1 million euros for him about two years ago when he was 17 years old. So that sort of tells you the kind of talent that he was sort of level that he was performing at back then. And he actually ended up rebuffing that offer and accepting sort of one fifth of the wage he was getting just to move to Norway. And it's interesting because there's an, another Rafael Leao kind of angle where he's had um, a contract dispute. Um, in terms of uh, Norway's Molde didn't sort of recognize um, the contract to be legal. So they got him for free. They were supposed to pay somewhere around 1, 1. 1.5 million, but they essentially only had to pay a, a customary amount to get him. Uh, and Fofana himself has said that, you know, he wanted to develop away from all the noise. And he views this as a good move to learn English so that he can eventually make the move to the Premier League or any league where he needs to settle in. So... This is a kid who knows exactly the kind of pathway he wants to take. Apparently, even his parents were telling him that you're an idiot. You shouldn't be going to Norway. You could go to Belgium. You could go to France. You know, a lot of scouts are watching you there. So you need to make that move. But he's essentially strong-willed enough to say, I see my career trajectory in this way. I need to be extremely well-prepared and then make the move um, when I feel I'm ready. And, and from what I have seen, I think he's already got the fundamentals ready at, at his 19-year-old self. I think he's, he's very promising and uh, hopefully we will get to see, him, to see the best of him in about a couple of years. Well, it's no surprise, I guess, considering that we've moved multiple members of the Brighton staff. Obviously, not all individuals from recruitment and not all immediately making an impact in Chelsea's transfer business but we're seeing some of these early signs that Chelsea want to be a little more thoughtful, a little more intelligent by the player for 10 million before they get to 50 million. 
acquire the player at 20 million before they get to 70 really starting to do more due diligence go to areas that are a little less researched you know like the norwegian league for instance where it's a little less accessible the information isn't as available and maybe get an edge that if you're competing in the same two three four markets for talent that you're competing against the likes of the other uh, Liverpool's, um, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and you're just you're automatically setting a floor of the price that's much higher than if you can be a little more intelligent in the deals that you're going after. I mean, we look at just now even uh, Julian Alvarez coming out of this World Cup and what he gives City in terms of an advantage because they've done a really great job at finding diamonds in the rough uh, but also going for a really premium high high end talent where they need it in in other areas and so i feel like sam this might be the first example of someone who's closer to the first team than the other individuals that we've signed right now but maybe that's incorrect considering the way hutchison looked in the preseason uh, or the you know mid-season preseason friendly the uh way that cassidy is coming on as well i don't know i mean I, I guess i'm just i'm seeing this and i'm thinking we're finally starting to see the pieces come into place where there is that influence of the academy that is a desire to be more intelligent with our recruitment strategy and datra looks like just the embodiment of that. No, I think the the earlier point that you raised about having a talent pipeline and having those kind of talents just waiting to make the move, I think that's a very astute observation because I think we are one probably sister club away from facilitating a, a first team pathway for these guys. And maybe then, you know, finding the right kind of coaches to nurture the development, maybe find them in a way to sort of let them play a system that is close to what they'll probably play at Chelsea. When you see the Red Bull model, it's exactly that. You know, you make a transition from from Austria to Germany. You play the same system. The principles of high pressing are the same. It's an essential guidebook top to down for everybody. The coaches, the the youth players, everybody has to follow the same fitness regimen, you know, be very adept at high pressing. And I think that's exactly what the new hierarchy is trying to do. You would eventually want a club that these talents can go to play Definitely play, say, three-fourth or or probably 80%, 90% of the games that are available and then be deemed ready to sort of come back and, and make an impact because that's exactly what's happening with Leipzig as well. So Hutchinson, for example, is a great name that you mentioned. <clears throat> I think he's just knocking on, on the door uh, to, to get a first-team chance. Lewis Hall, we've seen, has been included in the first team. Um, I think somebody like uh, a Vitor Roque, somebody like a, a Hendrik, somebody like an Andre Santos, these Brazilian talents also fit into that scheme of things. So these young players that we're trying to find from across Europe, from, from South America, uh, hopefully will sort of hold us in good stead in, say, 10 years down the line, because that's exactly what we're also seeing with Manchester City, like you mentioned. Um, they signed a Brazilian player called Kaiki. I'm, I'm really sorry if I'm not pronouncing the Portuguese pronunciation properly, but Kaiki was somebody that they um, came across, and he's now on uh, on loan in South America. And and he's been he actually scored an absolutely phenomenal goal, so he's developing well. When I was doing my research for the ideal right wing back, right back sort of a deputy for Reese James, I 
ended up on a player called Pedro Poro, who plays for Sporting in in, in Lisbon. And um, I thought that he was he was going to be a great fit. And then, surprise, I found out that Manchester City actually have a, a buyback on him and, and they can probably get him as a Kyle Walker replacement. So that's the advantage that you have. You know, you, you're giving these players time to develop and when you feel like an opportunity arises, then you can make your move. So hopefully, uh, somebody like a Fofana also fits into that lot. So looking at some of his just top-line stats for the current year... We have uh, someone who's shown an ability to uh, score goals across uh, multiple different uh, formats. He's had uh, 21 matches uh, played in the league, uh, 19 starts, 1,600, almost 1,700 minutes, um, 15 goals, three assists. Uh, three of those were penalty kicks, but his uh, per goal, goals per 90, 0.80, assists per 90, 0.16, so total goals plus assists, minus uh penalty kicks was 0.64 so a little inflated by those three penalty kicks but not a whole lot there's other elements though just beyond the numbers and i appreciate that you highlighted this as well sam but you put out a video on twitter that you had found about what dr was seen doing at the end of a match or potentially a training session and the way that he was engaging with the fans. So maybe walk us through like what, from a psychological evaluation standpoint, how this would rate or factor into a scout's decisions uh, and how they would pick up on this. Extremely underrated aspect. I think as, as somebody who does a lot of remote scouting, relying on numbers and what I see on a screen, I think those two, two aspects, the psychological aspect, as well as the social aspect is something that I miss out on sorely and I really wish I had the kind of access to watch these players train and, and what they do after they finish and how they basically interact. And it was lovely to see him uh, post a game before his shower, just going outside, stepping out to these young fans, these Norwegian fans, and and speaking to them, laughing, and then high-fiving each of them. And then one of the kids asked for his shoes, and then he said, you know, have my shin guards. So he took off his shin guards and handed it to each one of them, and then basically said, goodbye and then he left um there's also this lovely video of him saying that he's um you know he would love to play for chelsea obviously added brownie points for that and uh when i was reading his his interviews with norwegian media outlets there was also a little bit of uh iron will i think that's that's something that i would also want to highlight i think when he was talking about his his decision in terms of uh, everything that happened pre his his norway move you know people doubting him for moving to norway um, people sort of figuring, talking about whether he's going to waste his talent in a in a less competitive league. And he said, you know what, I'm going to shut all of them up because, you know, I know better than anybody else and I'm going to prove this to everybody and, and exactly what I'm going to do. I'm somebody who made his debut at 17 for the national team. So he clearly is no joke. He knows exactly what he wants. And um, I think he's, he's also somebody who's very level-headed, somebody who's very social will probably fit very well into into a dressing room. So all those things considered uh, an added positive apart from his plings. And that is where we asked the Drip Lord Ludacris to get the nice little audio clip there from Datro in talking about his time at, or how he'd like to be at Chelsea in the future. And what's your goal? Premier League. What's your favorite team? Chelsea. I don't know why, but... I want to play for Chelsea. 
that I want. Ah. It's very good, very good tip. Very good. It's my head. Yeah, anytime you hear someone say that, and it's at a younger age, versus the, I just signed for the club, and now I'm going to, of course, say that I grew up watching Chelsea matches, that I grew up watching these players, that I've always dreamed about this. And the framing in the context can get a little lost. Someone who is a younger individual who hasn't made that leap yet into the Premier League or into another one of the top European leagues or sides, this one rings more true, more authentic, more genuine uh, particularly when you watch the video with the accompanying audio and just see the way he reacts and smiles and the way that he's talking about the opportunity to play at Chelsea. Of course, that is going to go over, Sam, extremely well with the Chelsea community when you hear that and you hear at a young age, this individual has identified Chelsea as a place that they would really want to play for that they would really want to be and just get you excited. Yeah, I mean, um, to be honest, there was this one lovely tweet by um, Rob, Rob John Prattley, obviously RJP Journalism, a friend of the pod. Uh, he wrote, look, uh, a young Ivorian striker. Wow. And he said, somebody who's also developed at most, like like Erling Haaland. So um, those two things are obviously going to make you sit up and say, okay, that there might be a nice sort of destiny in this having a number nine is going to come back after, you know, big Didier and, and go on and score some goals for us. So I think, like you said, it's genuine. He's obviously Ivorian. So there's no doubt that he's grown up watching Didier Dropper. Um, so really, really think that he, whatever he said in that interview and in that little clip, he, he genuinely meant it from his heart. And hopefully that bit of attachment, I think that's what this new hierarchy is looking for. They're looking for players who, have a little bit of attachment, have something to prove, you know, want to give something to the club, uh, which is why the amount of emphasis on younger players who are coming out of Cobham and making sure that they've got the right kind of platform to deliver at the club and have some sort of like obligation to return to it. So uh, if you've got somebody like him who genuinely loves the club, then again, I, I don't think it's going to do any harm to try and facilitate a, a pathway for them. Into- All right, and so now that we've set the stage for who Datro is and what he potentially brings in terms of some of the intangible elements, the player profile, the desire to play for Chelsea, why he fits into the model of the player that we are looking to go after or to go after more frequently. We're going to take a real quick ad break. We're going to get back and we're going to get into all the specifics about strengths, opportunities, uh, potential weaknesses of his game. What has it looked like? We're going to use some of this Y Scout data that we have at our fingertips to give you a really, really detailed rundown. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after this break. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with over 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two year plan plus one free month. 
We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. All right, and so we're going to jump right back in before we do that. We just want to remind people, hey, we've got a newsletter now. It's in the pod descriptions. You should go sign up for that. And this one, we've, we'll have had two out by the time you're listening to this episode, potentially more if you're a little behind in your episodes. And uh, we'd love you to join us on our journey with that and get some updates on latest Chelsea news. But Sam, I watched a video in preparation for this, and they were talking about 10 10- Wonder Kids in Football Manager 2023. And if just follows <laughs> that trajectory, he apparently is going to be uh-huh. worth 200 million pounds at some point. So I don't know. Um, done. <laughs> done deal. He's going to be the best striker ever. That's probably the way this goes. But maybe if we should get a little more tethered to reality, brought down a little bit more where the gravity and the oxygen is uh, is not as thin. Uh, Broya replacement for, for current, one for the future. How do you see this signing impacting, gets done in January? Does he come right in or is it a move to maybe the, the PL2 side for a little bit to get him acclimatized, kind of built in? Where, where are we at? Because obviously we're running into an injury situation now. We don't know how effective Aubameyang is going to be. Like, just a lot of questions and trying to figure out how he fits in is probably the biggest challenge I had coming into this episode. Uh, to be very frank with you, uh, Dan, based on everything that I've seen, I think he's he's somebody who still needs a lot of time. He needs probably a year, probably a good loan where he's playing a heavy number of minutes in a more competitive league. He needs to acclimatize to not just like the physical requirements and and a lot of other things that are, I would say, unpolished in his game, but he also needs to adapt to the other factors, like learn the language, make sure that he's he's comfortable in the environment. Um, there are a lot of things that I feel like when I look at his game, I'm like, look, the basics are there, the fundamentals are there, but he's not applying himself well enough to say, yeah, he can he can jump right in. I think the step up would be far too big for him. It would be probably a little shock territory if, if you just plunge him into the first team side. So probably a loan for, for six months somewhere and then a loan next year. And then we're probably looking at when he's 22 years old to come back and, and probably have a say in whether he competes with Breuer or whether he's moved on or something of the sort. But right now, I think that he would just come in to facilitate the larger transfer strategy, somebody like a Christopher Bivell or, or one of the Brighton guys that we've got in probably has recommended him. And I think we will probably go for a different striker in, in January if that person becomes available. Good to know as we think about that. So let's talk about where he is today and what do we see as the strengths within his game? So if you're going to break it down to a couple of key points, 
what are the things people should be most excited about in Datro's profile as a player? I think what's interesting about him is that he's essentially got a lot of things right in terms of wanting to be a complete forward. When you want a forward who can basically play up front, who can drift out wide and run the wings, who can drop deep and offer something, even offer a little bit of creativity when, when the team's not doing well. I think he's got a little bit of everything. And I think that's what I take away from, from Fofana when I, when I watch him play. There are a lot of positive things. There's a lot of promise. And it's just how much of it can he hone in the next couple of years? How, how, what trait can he pick up and say, I'm going to maximize it and then try to figure out what limits I can push it to? And, and I think that's what excites me. I think he's just this rich pile of clay that can be molded into something really spectacular. So um, from what I see, his strengths, I mean, the one thing that stands out for me immediately is how agile he is. He's extremely um, quick in terms of the way he orients his body. He's able to faint. He's able to drop his shoulder and, and throw defenders aside. And then he's able to use this little burst of acceleration to run past people. So um, I would say he's also good in in tighter spaces, but I wouldn't say he's as elite as a Vinicius or, or one of the other guys who can manipulate the ball according to their will. But I think just the fact that he's so quick when he's moving his body, he, he's so clever at, at throwing people the other way, at deceiving people that he often try, he often gets to to run into space like an Mbappe does. So one thing that definitely is is outstanding about him is that his agility. He's also a very prolific dribbler. When I was looking at his numbers, they were a little staggering for me. I mean, he offers 7.9 dribbles per 90, which is which is a lot. And every time he picks it up, he wants to run at, at people. He wants to constantly take them on. And it's been a trait uh, ever since he came to, to Norway. I haven't been able to watch games from the Ivory Coast. But even when he doesn't get things right. He still picks up the ball and wants to do it over and over. And I think that's that's a pretty good sign. Um, what I also was uh, sort of fascinated by is that the amount of times he keeps possession post-dribbles. So he sort of had around 220 dribbles last season. He kept 159 possessions post the dribble, which is about 72%. So he he has good control over his speed, over the way he sort of carries the ball. He knows exactly what he wants to do. And post these dribbles, um, he had 80 shots and 43 of them were on target. So one in every two shots he takes after a dribble is on target. And so he's somebody who offers that wide striker role. Also, you can give him the ball on the left. He cuts in and offers that shot to you. So I think his, his dribbling also factors in well there, you know, somebody who can be used as a wide outlet, given the ball and then asked to come inside and, and shoot on goal. So that's, again, something that I was really impressed by. Um, another thing that I would say is his strength is his balance and his score strength. He's 5 feet 11 inches tall. He's 82 kilograms. So for a 19-year-old, he's very well built, I would say. And... Um, Whenever the ball is played to him, so when Molde play sort of a long ball game, whenever they try to ease the ball out of pressure, they often hit him first time. You know, there are long balls coming into him and he tends to have a very good first touch. He tends to control it well, tends to bring it down and then wait before he brings other runners into play. So there are some nice glimpses of, of his hold-up play, of his back-to-goal play, something that you often don't see in young strikers. But again, this is a league, I would say, that's one or two steps down in terms of physicality from a Premier League or other other top leagues. 
So, but at this level, in terms of something that you want from a young player, I think he's doing very, very well for himself. It's also really nice to see in terms of his balance. Every time he gets tackled, how quickly he regains his balance. So he's able to immediately ride a challenge and and continue as if it didn't happen. And I think that's, again, a very positive point. Uh, helps him regain control, helps him deliver the ball where he wants it to go. So core strength and, and balance is very good. I think he's a he's a really strong guy and he doesn't look like it, but he is extremely strong. And I think he will get stronger when given the right kind of prep. And obviously he still has a little bit of growing to do. So if he puts on a little muscle mass, I think he, he definitely will be an extremely strong number nine sort of profile to have. And uh, overall, in terms of a system, I think he's he's an extremely good transition threat. He's somebody that you would want to put into space. You know, you want to put the ball over the top of the opposition defense. You want him to run at it because he's extremely quick. He has this lovely burst of acceleration. I wouldn't say, again, world-class. He's not Mbappe. He's not somebody like a Vinicius who can tear the grass and burn it. But he's got a good burst. You know, he looks like he's he's got a good amount of acceleration, a good amount of top speed when he hits it. And he can run in behind and then offer you a direct goal threat. And he does this from wide. He does this from center. He does this from deep positions. Whenever there are counter-attacking opportunities, he'll collect it and he will run at people. And when he does that, he's absolutely devastating. So somebody who's in a transition forward kind of mold, again, like I know this description of him would probably draw parallels with Lukaku and I would say that's a good reference point to go with because not just for the physical and and, and those kind of reasons Lukaku obviously much more of a of a goal threat his finishing is much better I think Fofana is a little raw but just in terms of Lukaku when he was younger was was somebody who was always running in behind when you looked at him at West Brom when you looked at him at um, at Everton Somebody who was played like a normal nine, you know, balls in behind, you expect him to hold people off and then finish. And I think that's the kind of forward he is. And it's very important that people realize he's not a target man. He's not a number nine who's, you know, going to be able to play back to goal consistently. He can do it a couple of times a game, but you want him basically receiving the ball when he's facing the opposition goal. And I think those are his strengths, you know, and, and, and it's very important that we profile it the right way and hopefully he can develop those other aspects um, over the over the next couple of years. I think when you start to look into some of the underlying stats here and see where he's taking his shots from, the picture you painted comes into more focus. So the total number of shots is 136 with 72 on target. So a total of 52.9. We'll round it up to 53 and be very kind in the giving season. We... When you look at the though, the majority of that has come in the penalty areas, inside the penalty area. 107 all of them, shots. All of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of them. 23, I, I, I want to be kind. I want to be kind. I mean, there are a few outside the penalty area. <laughs> no, no, no. 23 of his goals, 23 of his open play goals, all have been inside the box, you know, all of them. And um, he's somebody who is, he's a bit of a paradox for me, Dan, because. He's somebody, I will come up to uh, it in his weaknesses, but he's he's got 23 goals, I think. He's got four goals from penalties, um, but 23 goals inside the box. And uh, it's not because he stands inside the box and you expect to cross it to his head or you find him inside space. And that happens rarely. Most of the times, he, he does that when he runs about 50, 60 meters, about 40 meter sprints. 
he gets to the edge of the box, he, he gets a one-two or he carries it into the box himself and then he shoots to score. So he's not basically receiving the ball inside the box. He's receiving it somewhere in and around and then he's attacking the box to sort of score. So an interesting profile because that again, like, like I said, in the weaknesses section, we will discuss this a little bit more, but all of his goals inside the penalty area. So maybe long-range shooting something that we need to look at. But like you said, to be kind, a few long-range efforts, yes, outside the box, yes, but mostly, uh, you know, a penalty box guy. I was going to say, I, I'm just impressed with the on-target shot rate and the way that that across all of the different areas. So, you know, 51.4 for inside of the penalty area, 54.2 for outside the penalty area, uh, 24 for 13. No goals necessarily, but at least they're getting on target. They're challenging the keeper. Maybe it potentially doesn't get saved, gives an opportunity for rebounds. There's a whole lot that can go in there. But I think the you answered the follow-up question I was going to ask is how much of that is him getting onto it in tra- in the moment where the ball is coming into the box versus him being the agent of chaos, carrying it forward himself into the box and then attempting the shot, which is be a little different from some of the Lukaku, Werner type of comparisons that maybe people would draw with some of the earlier analysis where you're looking at someone who actually can carry it forward at pace, get it in the box and pull off a shot, which is not what most of our attacking options at the at the club currently prefer to do. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. I think what people are very eager to know is what is the technical level of this guy? Because when you looked at Team Werner, when you looked at Romelu Lukaku, sometimes the first touches, you know, it would be like balls hitting a trampoline, you know, for the first touch and it would just bounce off somewhere else. So are we going to get the same kind of forward? Is it again a transition forward who's made for the Bundesliga being bought into the Premier League? I think the answer is a little more complicated than that. I think he's... He's somebody who can offer some threat, some very good threat against settled defences as well. You know, whenever he does get the ball against a side that is pretty settled, has four or five defenders uh, sitting deep and not trying to press and and not trying to be proactive, he tends to attract a lot of attention purely because of of his speed, of his willingness to, to run at you. So tends to draw out a couple of people, tends to be an agent of chaos, like you correctly said. He's he's somebody like that. He tends to take the right kind of threats. He's very proactive in that sense, not sort of afraid to lose the ball, not afraid of of making the wrong decision. He just wants to be in the thick of the action. And I think the best moments that I've seen have all been when, when he's received somewhere between the lines or he's got this movement where he's consistently moving from in to out. So he'll start from the center as one of the two center forwards. So I should mention uh, at the club, he plays in a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2 where he's one of two center forwards and he can play on either side. He can play on the left. He can play on the right. He's also pretty good with his weaker foot. He can finish there. So pretty ambidextrous in that sense in terms of like inside the box shots. But often on the left-hand side, you will see him drift wide, make space for himself, collect, and then basically try to be uh, a threat. And what's interesting about him is I think he's somebody who, when given the time to sort of develop and blossom, he is somebody who can manufacture his own shots. I think he's got, like I mentioned, his agility. When I I see his separation, his ability to create a little bit of space for a shot, he's just 
so adept at getting away from players to to make that extra yard. I think that will hold him in good stead when he's trying to get shots away. So um, I think a lot more potential technically. I think some of his footwork is very nifty in tight spaces. He's he's got these nutmegs and flicks and and these lovely you know rolling your soul over the over the ball and and drawing defenders into tackles and then you know jumping it and and moving it into space. I think he's got all of those little things. Obviously in a league with much um, much more aggression and, and far too little space, we'll have to see how he fares. But those ingredients, like I said, are definitely there. So no reason to worry about transition only forward. Um, technically weak, not going to be able to work in tight spaces. But like I said, has to be given time. So thinking a little bit about some of those other areas, you mentioned it a few times now, but the weaknesses in his game, things that whether at Chelsea or on loan in his development packet or his things that you need to work on to make it into Chelsea's first team. What are those check boxes that he needs to address or check off to ensure that he continues on the positive trajectory that he wants to follow to play for, not just for Chelsea as a part of the larger structure, but play for Chelsea in the first team. Yeah, this is where the paradox comes in, Dan, because I think for somebody who's scored 23 goals, all of his goals from inside the box, his movements and decisions inside the box are uh, pretty bad. I mean, I think they're very rudimentary, um, very simple movements. And then uh, he tends to be a master of one art rather than a jack of all trades. And, and that's not necessarily... A good thing when you're a striker and you're trying to sort of outfox opponents and try to create some space for yourself. I think the one biggest caveat in his skill set is his movement. He he has to improve uh, his variety of movement in in the way that he creates space and then loses his markers. Right now, he tends to tends to just run in a straight line, um, almost always sort of tries to be in the right space and and that's it. He just gets into the right space and he waits. So most of the goals, most of the headers that you see him score, uh, most of the tap-ins that you see him score, it's more of space being available to him because of circumstance rather than him creating it. When you look at an elite movement forward like an Edinson Cavani, somebody who will move three times, two times, four times to create space and, and you know get away from your marker, to peel away from your marker before a header, it's not something you see from Fofana. He's happy to stand there He's happy for play to be attracted to a different side and, and the space to open up for him. And then teammates find him for a tap-in. You know, he's that kind of a forward. But he has to be able to create space for himself uh, in the box. Right now, he has two very good movements. He's very good, like I said, been going from in to out. So that's where he finds space. He will engage the centre-backs and suddenly he will move out wide and then collect in space and then run at. Or otherwise, he's very good when he's playing off the shoulder. He will show often. He will often wait for one of the two centre backs if he's playing against the back four to be to draw to be drawn into something to step up to to stop someone and then he'll run behind that defender to try and get a one v one versus the goalkeeper. These are two movements he's very good at, and if a team can consistently find him with through balls or with balls over the top, then obviously you have a very very good threat. But that's something you don't see very often in the Premier League because teams simply do not give you time after they've lost the ball. So. I think that's something that he has to desperately improve. This this is one facet that he needs to be watching Cavani videos and then working with his coaches and 
trying to develop as many different movements as he can. So that's that's one caveat that I that I've observed in multiple games. Um, the second I would say is interestingly, I don't think he's very good in the air. Uh, I say this with a conditions apply because um, he doesn't jump, and that's a problem. You know, when he's outside the box, I can see why he doesn't jump because. He's like Hazard. He he will back into players and he will like to sort of keep contact with his marker. But he will allow his marker to jump and make first contact. So that allows you to be on the ground. You have both feet on the ground and then adjust yourself to be the first to the second ball. So I can see the logic there in terms of like recoveries in the attacking third when, when you've obviously put long balls at a center back. He's very good at that. He's He reads it well. But even inside the box, he doesn't jump. You know, he's got a very small leap. I don't know whether he's, you know, he's deliberately doing that or whether he's not jumping at all. But considering how athletic he is in every other part of his game, I, I desperately think he can easily jump a couple of meters. Like, you know, he does, does have a spring, but just doesn't use it. And he scored four headers, but most of them, if you see, are just him jumping probably a few inches off the ground. And, and like powering the header in. So I say conditions apply again because his headers are really good. You know, he has a lot of power, a lot of direction, generates an incredible amount with his neck muscles. So he's got the heading ability. It's just his jump isn't good enough. So is he going to be able to do that against James Darkowski or a Yari Mina, you know, who are six feet five behemoths and then jumping, you know, another one and a half meters above him? I don't think so. So I think that's something, again, he needs to be very, very aware of. And the third, again, is something related to his in and around box. He, he doesn't he doesn't look around. He doesn't scan. You know, that's something that you see in a lot of world-class forwards like Lewandowski or, or Lionel Messi, always trying to map out what the game looks like. You know, you need to have a mental map of where you are, where your teammates are, where the best options are. And he just seems to see best what is ahead of him. He doesn't see what's around him. And sometimes that manifests itself in in taking too many touches. Sometimes he will take a shot too early. Sometimes he will shoot when he has a better option. And those are all things that happen when, when you're sort of like a young striker. So I think that those will go away with time. But those those little points are, are still there in his game. And he needs to iron out those flaws, iron out those creases to make sure that you know, he develops in the best way possible. But all of them, surprisingly, related to his threat in and around the box. And I think that needs to be improved, which is why I think my assessment of, is he ready for the Premier League? No, because he's going to be able to offer, he's going to have to offer so much more as a number nine in the Premier League side. He has to be an aerial threat. He has to chase lost causes. He has to be able to hold up against strong centre-backs. He has to be able to, to pick out the right passes to make sure that he's the focal point, the reference point. And I think the ingredients are there. Again, I think like in terms of all the fundamental boxes, he ticks each and every one. He has every single, in terms of physical athletic ability, yes. In terms of his mental traits, yes. In terms of his social, physical, psychological, in terms of whatever I can see, it looks very positive. It's just, we are buying promise, we are buying potential and 10 million is is 1000%, not a bad price to pay for, pay for somebody like him. All right, we're going to get into a few last specifics on Fafana here in just a moment, talking about where he would fit, maybe some parallels for the type of player or the style of player that he could develop into. But we're going to have one more quick ad break. So thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, Sam, so we're rounding this one out. You have an example of a couple of different player 
parallels that you would have for Fafana in terms of who who would be most similar, who would be kind of a, a comp that you would point to and say, like, if if his development went to plan, here's a type of player that he could be. But before we get into that, I do want to ask the question, since you brought it up right before the break, talking about not being ready for the Premier League, but we also mentioned earlier in the episode that you could see him potentially going on a loan. Where maybe a team or a league would you see a loan being most successful for him? Is it something where he could make a move into a championship side or a league one side and stay in England? Is it somewhere maybe like the Belgian league or maybe even into to, to Germany? Like where is he at today? Where could he get a, good loan where he would be guaranteed to start and doesn't have to be this specific club you could have a dream club but a type of club maybe would be the example that should we should narrow it down to um that's an interesting question to be honest um i would say i think if he could get high level minutes in the premier league i mean why not i think he's he's definitely somebody who can at least be a, a backup striker to to a top premier league club the one thing the one club that immediately pops to my mind is Leicester City's. You know, somebody like Avadi's profile with his age and, and him being eased out. If they want to look for a replacement, if they've already had one, if they've not had one, um, somebody like him who's very adept at running in behind, then you've got a lot of players in that side, like a James Madison or a Harvey Barnes, who are able to offer a lot of good service and consistently play you in behind um, the the enemy lines, I think he's he's probably going to have a good time there. So it will be an interesting option for him, provided Leicester give him, you know, a nice pathway to say, all right, for one year, you're going to get far too many opportunities and in like 50% or 30% of games in, in cup competitions or whatever, and then make sure that if an injury happens, we're not going to go by, we're going to give you the chance to sort of prove yourself. So I think, but again, that sort of factors in pretty badly when you consider how many loans have gone bad in the Premier League. Billy Gilmore, Ethan Ampadu can, can keep going on. But I think the French League would also be a, a pretty good option for him. One, one club that comes to mind is Lorient, where a lot of interesting young players are again making their mark. I was actually following one of their strikers, Armand Loriente. He's moved to Sassuolo. And uh, I think in, in terms of Having a forward who's able to do a little bit of everything, I think Armand was somebody who was creating those kind of opportunities. Not just the number nine, but also lovely at creating chances, um, making sure that he's bringing other people into play. Obviously, be the fact that he's Ivorian and speaks French, in terms of a culture shock, I don't think you know, that's going to be any different moving to, to France and then being absolutely at home. So I think he's going to be very at ease at a club like that. And obviously, he will play a lot of time in, in League One. So I think that will be something down his alley. In a, in a league where youth players are, are treasured, are nurtured, are given the platform to shine, I think he'll definitely make um, a really, really good uh, impression there. And, and that we've had, I mean, I'm, I'm scouting a couple of talents for the club as well. So I would love to see somebody like an Enzo Lefe and how he develops in, in the next couple of years. And if you remember, Trevor Chalava went to Lorient on loan mm -hmm. uh, before he broke into Chelsea. So I think there is a nice relationship going there. So 
I think that could be a club, hopefully, the, that we could try to explore something with. But even if it happens in the championship, playing 40-42 games, that's what made Tani Abraham, that's what made Mason Mount, that's what, that's what made Fikayo Tomori. So even if you're playing a grueling calendar and playing 90 minutes every single week and sometimes twice a week, I think that again adds a great amount to the amount of physical endurance you can you can go through and what experience you you get in a physical league. So I think those are very, very logical options to look at. And with those loans, you talk about the potential areas and and the comps. So what are the things, we talked about it more as weaknesses, but if you also framed it more as a like, hey, I'm going to put him in a team that's going to help him with these one or two things to make him way better in six months than he is currently what are the things or what are, what would you hope a team is going to be able to give to him in that regard mm, i think the first thing that he needs to do is obviously get minutes as as a lone forward i think he's shared minutes as uh, as a second forward as uh, you know playing in a in a two strike formation so i would want him to be a little more comfortable running the line by himself i think that's something that we should be trying to to get him to learn by himself i think he's played it in his early days when when uh, he was playing in a four two three one, but after that when the formation shifted, he's been I think essentially playing as one of two strikers. So I think we should be able to try and give him that platform to say, okay, can you run the line by yourself? Can you do you know a lone forward thing and try to bring three other attackers into play? I think he's somebody who's capable of doing that and uh, somebody who will quite enjoy the challenge. So. Probably, like, in terms of a, a small challenge bar, I think that would be a nice marker to, to put down for him. Um, the things that I see from his qualities in terms of his back-to-goal play, in terms of how well he's able to, to bring the ball down under pressure, even when he's, you know, staggered, even when he's off balance, I think he'll be he'll be a far better striker if he can improve his link-up play and his decision-making. And again, that boils down to these little things, like, scanning and making sure that he knows who is around, his vision, his his passing under pressure, how composed he is. I think those little things also need to improve. So the potential is there for him to be able to play little passes and bring other attackers into play. I think that is something that I would want to see more of him. Not all number nines are comfortable playing back to goal and you know comfortable plucking the ball out of the air and then calming things down before runners arrive. I think he's got those traits uh, with him, he's he's able to not just have the strength to hold off defenders, but he's got the pace to get away from them and sort of be in a position where you've got a couple of seconds to make your decision. So I think that's a facet of his game he desperately needs to to sort of look at improving because that would add so much to his game. A uh, second point was something that he was actually benched for earlier on in his in his Norwegian career. I think there was an interview where one of his coaches said that. We benched him because he wasn't grasping counter-pressing properly. He wasn't grasping pressing triggers and, and being able to put in the defensive work. And I think that's something that he also needs to improve on. Obviously, the intensity in the Premier League is going to be off the charts. And we no longer have forwards who are going to put eight, nine direct pressures a game. Somebody like a Lukaku. You need somebody who's putting in 13, 14 minimum. I'm talking about minimum. Even Lewandowski and Benzema put that much. So you'd want somebody to to offer that kind of industry, to be very proactive in terms of off-the-ball work, in terms of winning the ball back, or at least recovering it. His, his recoveries 
uh, in the Norwegian league aren't that great. I think he's making around 2.3 recoveries per 90. Um, I think even 2.3 recoveries down to pressing recoveries per 90. And he's making around three recoveries overall per 90 minutes, which is okay, but it's on the lower end of the spectrum compared to the rest of the league. So he needs to be somebody who's defending from the front. And if we can get that kind of a battering ram to, to spearhead your attack, then I think it, it would be better off for him as well as the entire unit. And the third is, I think, when I look at him as a forward who's also adept at creating chances, I think he's he's got the potential to be a nice wide forward who's adding playmaking to his game. You know, somebody who's very good at finding cutbacks, who's immediately pulling people towards them. His gravity is something that I speak about often. Um, whenever he gets some space on the wide side, he's able to beat one, two players and then break into space to, to try and find a ball in central areas. Because as a striker, if you're moving out wide, then it leaves the centre-backs in a little bit of a quandary in terms of who to mark or what space to go after. So he's able to to create that kind of a central space for his teammates. And uh, I think his chance creation is pretty good. He's created eight, eight chances, I think, in the past season when they won the league. Uh, eight big chances. And he can do a lot more in terms of the positions he gets into, in terms of the moments he gets into. Because when he goes on a counter-attack, he can often blitz past three, four players and get one-on-one with somebody. And then you see one of his strike partners making the supporting run. So those simple passes, that ability to win the ball back and create a chance, the ability to to manufacture a chance out of you know a ball loss in the middle third, I think that's something that um, will make him a, a very, very important asset in, in the larger scheme of things. But again, those are all aspects that are visible, but it's just very difficult to predict to what level he will amplify those skill sets. And, and that's what will be intriguing to watch. Uh, in the coming few months. Yeah, we're buying in on a talent at a price that previously you might have said, wait a minute, $10 million, that seems like a lot of money. But we're getting someone, or moving to a, I don't know if I would call it a lottery ticket model, because the amount of analysis that you're doing on these players is, there's there's odds required there's some faith and hope required but you do have an opportunity to place more of the odds in your favor in terms of how you develop your talent pipeline the actual development structure for a player that you wouldn't be able to if you were just pulling some numbers out of thin air and hoping that they hit this to me feels like the first example or one of the first examples under a new ownership group with a new scouting structure in place with a massive overhaul and a move to a multi-clump model that we're going to see more of these types of signings. And so, Sam, I think it was really fun to get to talk about Datro Fafana with you to figure out where he fits in. Maybe not fully baked, ready to head into our starting eleven or potentially ride the bench just yet in that first team, but definitely one for the future, a very exciting individual. If, as we believe from the tweets from Fabricio and from Matt Law, that they, this is a likely deal that looks like it is trending in the right direction, but of course everything could change, but we have seen the videos of how excited he would be to sign for Chelsea. So if it all heads in the right direction, it'd be a very exciting 
step forward into the future to prepare Chelsea for a, a more sustainable model of running our club and hopefully projecting long-term success, not just with player development, but in terms of trophies that we can collect on the pitch as well. And definitely, I think it just helps to have those kind of players just waiting in the wings, clawing at an opportunity to to show the manager what they can do. And I, I think the talents that we've gone after, uh, especially when when the American takeover happened, we we saw Hutchinson come in, we saw Zach Sturge, we saw Cassidy. Cassidy has been absolutely fantastic. Hutchinson's really, really good. So in terms of giving those right people the power to make those decisions, to find these players, these unknown gems for 10 million and probably convert them into a 60, 70 million talent. Um, I think it's a great strategy to have long-term instead of spending 60 million each window and then trying to go after the next big thing. You can spend 10 million six times and get six talents out of which at least two players are going to, to end up becoming a 50 million or a 60 million talent. If you're lucky, a Reese James or a Mason Mount. But um, I think that strategy is definitely going to be um, useful in the long term. In terms of, I would say, the player that I thought was the closest resemblance to any current player, I, I before the World Cup final happened when I was writing this report, I listed down Randall Kolomwani. And uh, for people who've just watched the World Cup final, please go back, Chelsea fans, and, and watch Kolomwani's his contribution live via the way that he contributed to the game, um, his runs in behind, his pace, his acceleration. I think that is the marker that I would set for for Fofana. You know, if if that's the milestone that you hit at 22 or even earlier, if possible, I think you're on the right track. Somebody who's a wide forward, but able to play as a number nine, somebody who creates chances, scores them, able to contribute in all phases of play then I think that we are on the right track. So instead of buying Kolumwani after a nice performance at the World Cup for 50 million, we are buying somebody who's four and a half, five years younger for 10 million and then hoping to nurture him with a world-class coaching uh, setup with a world-class, you know, uh, I would say training setup and then whatever else support that you have at the club to get to that level in the next two, three years, I think is is great foresight to have. So hopefully he will turn out to be at that level at, I would say, inter-Lukaku level or even better. And hopefully, fingers crossed. Well, that definitely is going to get the imagination going in terms of what the potential truly could be. But that's going to do it for this one. But don't worry. We do have an Nkunku pod coming where we're going to detail all of that. Sam has had it in... The Banks, it's been ready to go. He is absolutely going to go ham on that one. But Sam, thank you so much for this episode, giving the people additional information about a potential, because it's not 100% official yet, potential new signing for Chelsea and the whole Vision 2030 that Chelsea are going after. And uh, we, we appreciate all the hard work that you did to get the video information you needed to complete this analysis. Thank you so much, Dan. It's absolutely my pleasure. And it's it's great finding these these few names who've, who've popped out of nowhere and, and gone on to make an impression. I think it's it's it gives you nice satisfaction when you discover one of these talents yourself. Um I, I'm name checking a couple of them on the board. I've I've done that before, but like you know, if you see if you hear about an Andre Santos come 
Um, if you hear about a Vitor Roque come, I mean, obviously, people from Brazil who are listening to this pod like, ah, these guys are household names. But um, yeah, I mean, if those guys come for a Vision 2030, then obviously I would be extremely excited. I have those in the bank as well, but let's just start with Inkunku and, and hopefully we'll get somewhere. <laughs> Well, that is going to do it for this episode. So, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.